Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado Magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado Magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Ami Baum. He's the CEO of Interna- uh, Interchange Capital Partners. Welcome, Ami. How's hey, thanks, thanks for having me. Nice to be here, Ron. That's cool. Uh, so I always like to get into like kind of how you started, the, the origin story. I joke around a lot. It's kind of probably getting old for people to listen to sh- every show. Is like you were born and then you ended up on a show about mergers and acquisition. Can you fill out the gap in between somehow? Sure, sure. Uh, about uh, 40, I, I came from a family where my father, uh, number one comment to me is, what do you think? Money grows on trees? Uh, so that was the starting point. And yet when I look around, because we lived in a middle class neighborhood, even though we weren't really middle class, I don't know how we pulled it off, but uh, there, there seemed to be lots of money trees around. And so that was the starting point for me at a very early age to recognize, uh, you know, well, if, how do you build a money tree? And, you know, the family had a family business. There were three brothers, my father and two brothers, and, you know, they, they went bankrupt and, and they all went in three different directions. My father went into education, became a PhD, uh, you know, doctorate in education, did a bunch of things. And, but there was never, it was always the problem about money. And I didn't really recognize it all. It didn't all come together until, um, I had gotten into college and I came home and I was excited because I was just an okay student, frankly. <laughs> you know, I didn't really apply myself. I turned to my dad and I said, Hey, I got into college. He said, That's great. How are you going to pay for it? I said, What? <laughs> okay. What do you mean? And, and that was the beginning of me understanding that a lot of the issues that were my mother and father would fight about or the, the, the challenges and the tension had to do with the fact that uh, there really was no money around. There was no safety net. My father was living on a tightrope. And uh, I made a commitment to myself at that time that I was going to create a safety net. I didn't know exactly how I was going to do it. Um, you know, I, I picked up a book, you know, which is the, the classic book, Think and Grow Rich. And that sort of got me thinking. And, and, and the one thing I recognized from that, the number one takeaway was if you can help enough other people get what they want, you'll get everything that you want. And that that sort of was the beginning of my pathway. And then through college, I had to put myself to work. uh, And and I met a 
friend of mine and we ran a restaurant together and his father was a stockbroker for EF Hutton. And I didn't know anything about stock brokering. I didn't know anything about EF Hutton. Uh, and he said, I got you a job. <laughs> well, what do you do? And uh, I went in, I did the interview. I was able to get through the interview. Um, you know, I turned the question. There's a classic question at that time is, well, what's your weakness? And I said, candidly, I don't know anything about your industry, but I can learn. And if you've got a good training program, uh, I can be successful at this. And he liked that response and he subsequently hired me. And I started the journey as a stockbroker and became familiar with financial services. I didn't really like stock brokering. I felt it to be, it worked for me because I smiled and I did the hard work that was necessary, but it didn't seem to work for the client. And then I moved into at that time, uh, into two areas. One was financial planning. Uh, I became a certified financial planner. So I began to understand holistic. And then I also learned about the consulting services division of EF Hutton, which really was about how very wealthy people and pensions and profit sharing plans, people who had to run money for others, uh, how they did it. And now, and I began to pioneer at a very early stage in the early 80s fee-based money management, which is what is now the standard. So as I kept working through that, I began to recognize that the, the biggest sum of money that people get was either from working real hard at a corporation or their, or their own business. That's where it all was. And when they had to unlock that, that lifetime of work is when they really needed things. And so we, we started focusing on what we call succession, transition, planning, unlocking a lifetime of work. And we did it with all professionals. We did it with corporate execs. We did it with business owners. Uh, and as time went on, it became clear that the business owner was the one that frankly had more complexity around them than just, I mean, the corporate exec did, but everything was sort of put together for them. And certainly the professional did around it, but the business owner had a lot of complexity around that. And the other thing that was really good about business owners is that they knew how to delegate. They realized early on, if they were going to be successful, they couldn't do it all themselves. And so they were comfortable with hiring professionals, even though Admittedly, they necessarily didn't do it well, and that's some of the things that we try to educate them on. So it became a uh, storyline of, you know, how can I continue, you know, to help enough other people get what they want? And what everybody's looking for, I hear it over and over and over again, is where's my financial safety net? Most business owners have all of their eggs in that business. Very few of them have taken enough out. So when we work with them, it, that's that keeps them motivated and moving, but it also creates a lot of stress and anxiety around that. So that's how we move. So for 40 plus years, I was working inside of Wall Street firms. It was EF Hutton. And then I went to Payne Weber, which was subsequently bought by UBS. And I spent the bulk of my career at the Swiss bank, uh, you know, uh, UBS. And on my 65th birthday, two and a half years ago, because my son had joined me and I had a 
relatively young team and we knew that we wanted to be able to bring more to the table than just investment and wealth management. We really wanted to bring the business consulting side to be able to really help these business owners figure out how they can exit successfully, transition successfully. And that was something that in the way we wanted to do it was a little bit more challenging, uh, you know, inside of these Wall Street firms and, and uh, banking firms. So on my 65th birthday, uh, where most people go to the Social Security office, as I told you, we launched Interchange Capital Partners, and that was two and a half years ago. And uh, with the idea that we already had proven that family businesses are looking for help be to reduce the complexity that surrounds it and at the same time build out successful strategies. So that's pretty much where we are. And, uh, you know, I'm a young 67 and my father worked until, you know, he died when he was 85. And I think he taught his last class when, you know, three months before he passed away. It's sort of in my DNA. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've learned over the years of helping people through the transition is, you know, how once they have moved on to their next chapter, uh, they want to, they always say, you know, well, what am I going to do next? And, you know, I hear it all the time with friends, you know, they're bored. There's only so much golf they can play unless you've got this really strong set of hobbies and other kinds of things. I know you do Ron. you know, <laughs> for it, but you know, a lot of others don't. And so what they really have is their business. And I've got some other things as well that keeps me occupied, but it still goes back to that basic core if I can help enough other people get what they want. And this is so important. Uh, the mistakes that are made here uh, have generational consequences. It's not just you, it's your family, it's your employees, it's your community. Um, so it, it's really just fits well. And because I get to do just the things that I love to do and I can delegate all these things and aggravate me or irritate me, you know, why, why retire? Why, why not keep going and doing the good work and, and keep uh, improving other people's lives, you know, around this very challenging uh, uh, transaction. Let's jump back to the, like the succession and all that stuff. You know, we both know that at some point everybody's leaving. You're going to leave your company. I'm going to leave mine, whether it's whether it's in a, you know, in a wheelchair, into a mental facility or into or, or in a casket. We're all, we're all going to leave. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's that's the interesting thing. It, there, you know, there, there are certain immutable laws, I, you know, and what you know, like gravity. Right. If you jump off a building, you're not going to go up. You're going to go down. And the same thing with this succession transition. It's not if you're going to exit. It's when. And, and, the, and the question is, how do you do that? so that you can be successful at it. And I get the fact that there's a lot of people, as we just talked about, and I'm sort of one of them, where, well, what else am I going to do? But nonetheless, you still have to begin to plan and groom the next generation, you know, for it. Again, helping the others uh, with that. And so the, that's one of the classic mistakes that, well, I have time. 
Uh, well, you don't have time because you just don't know. We all believe and hope uh, and pray. You know, it's all about hope and faith that we're going to be here tomorrow and we're going to be here healthy. That's not, it doesn't always happen that way. And so, and the transition and succession in order to be successful takes time. The more time that you have. The interesting thing about all of this is when you think about people who started the business, the, the things that you need to do for a successful transition and succession are just good business practices. So even if you're playing, even if you're like, well, I, you know, I don't know when and I don't really want to talk about it. The things that you have to do to get to a successful transaction is going to be good for your business. And ultimately, that's what you want. When we talk to business owners, there's three things that they're interested in. Obviously, they're interested in their business, they're interested in their families, and they're interested in their employees and their customers. Some go a little farther, and it really is because they're a major player in their community. So, so there, there's a lot of stakeholders that are involved in this, and there's only so much time in the day, so I get that. And that's where having a good partner like us at Interchange can assist you. We like to tell people that what we really are doing is we're giving you an extra hour, two, three, four, you name it, that you because you can delegate to us and then we can act as the financial chief of staff, if you will, around this very large, most important financial transaction of your life. So I get the fact that people don't focus on it. We're trying to get them to recognize that focusing on it is does the things that they would normally do. They get up every morning and what they want to do is they want to be better for themselves, their family, their employees, their customers, and that ultimately leads to a richer, more valuable life. It's interesting. There's a lot of people that start going through the process of prepping for an exit. It's kind of like a, uh, this, this analogy has come up on the show a few times. It's kind of like going out, you're thinking about training your car in. So you go out and you have a few things done. So you get the highest trade in value. And then, you know, so you get a few things done to it. And then you have it detailed. And you're like, now you're driving it to have it traded in. And you're like, this isn't so bad. Why am I trading it in? Same way with what happens a lot of businesses is if you go through the process of decentralizing everything away from you, to, like you don't have to be the guy that knows everything and does everything, put in the systems and operate, you know, the, uh, standard operating procedures so that other people can be trained without you having to train them. You go through all the different steps and now you've got a business that you can actually take a month vacation from and it still is growing probably sometimes better than it would when, when you were there. Yeah, it makes a big difference. People don't really get that these are just great business practices and it'll free up a lot of your time. Yeah, and, and I think that's part of it. You know, we, I know we're going to talk a little bit about tax mitigation. That's always a big thing. But, you know, one, one of the issues that happens when you sell any asset, and business is obviously your biggest asset, you've got most of your equity involved in that, there's going to be a tax bill on it. But if you can create what we call a self-managing company, Okay, which is uh, that term was coined by uh, Dan Sullivan, you know, uh, out of strategic coach. If you can create a self-managing company that you can create some tax favored income for the rest of your life out of that, then there's no taxes at this generation. 
And then you, you can pass it down. So the idea of what you're bringing up is that idea that if you put these practices into place, you can create a self-managing company that does a number of things, not the least of which you know, is, hey, I get to do what I love to do, whatever that may be. And part of that, and you reach a certain point in life where it says, yeah, I'd like to take a month off. I'd like to take six months off. You know, and I've been at this for 40 years. Maybe I want to take a year off and, and do some other kinds of things and know that you've got systems and people in place. So that's one. It's it's That's unusual, but I want to put that out there for the one who says, I never want to leave. Okay, don't leave. But let me ask you this. Do you love everything that you do every day? And usually the answer is, are you kidding me? I can't stand us, but I don't know what else to do. And then we start working with them around, okay, what is your unique ability? What is it that you love to do? What are you passionate about? We always find out that in a lot of cases, the, the number one place, the certainly first gen or, or even the it's not first, even second gen, the leader of the company loves to be the cheerleader loves to be out there in the sales process somehow of telling, you know, working with a, a select client, working with new ones. So that frees that space up for them to be able to do it. And all of a sudden, yeah, okay, now I'm not leaving, but I'm enjoying my life more. And to your point, they're making even more income because they've learned how to empower their team and they, their, their management and their, and, even their family members who are part of this. It's interesting is a while back I had a guy reach out to me and I don't do mentoring, but this guy reached out and said, Hey, I would like to, uh, I've heard about uh, aqua hire where you're hiring people and stuff. He goes, I want to aqua retire. I said, what are you, what are you talking about? He goes, my 401k isn't big enough for me to retire at the moment. I want to acquire a company that's big enough to where I can put an operator in. I'm just an advisor. You know, I, come in once a month or once a quarter do some advisement and coaching or whatever because i've done this for years and uh they run it and that's a great idea for somebody that's owning a business what if you just become the advisor right like you uh like half retire there's a there's a there's a name out there's a people out there that refer to kind of half retiring where they bring in an operator a ceo or sometimes a family member to step up and run it they go into an advisement role and you know they get to do the parts they love they hold on to like those pieces so i I love that concept right i love the concept of you don't have to leave you don't have to sell to enjoy you know your next phase what i said to my my son and my other partner I said to both of them, I said, I'll tell you what, let, I will look to give up my CEO role in three years when I'm 70. Okay, so I've got another two and a half years. Now, will I actually end up giving that up? I don't know, but I do know that I am giving more and more responsibilities and allowing the organization to do more and more. And and that's really good because I can watch and I can offer that advice and counsel and coaching. I mean, you know, again, we tend to deal with very successful businesses. We're not dealing with startups here, you know? So, you know, the mistakes that are made are, are not 
you know, monumental that are going to bankrupt the company. You know, there's mistakes like, you know, your accounts receivables are out of whack. You know, you've got the wrong people on the bus. You don't necessarily have the right strategy, your execution, your cash, those kinds of things. And, you know, you can work with that. And we, a term we use is how can, as the owner, if you will, become the inconsequential owner? Not the, doesn't mean you're out. It's just, you're not, the whole business doesn't revolve around you. And, and that's, that's a, critical ingredient. And yet you could stay involved, you can stay engaged, you can still do the things that you love to do. And what that's going to do is equal what we call the successful. Um, so we've talked a little bit about, let's define that. What are we talking about when we say a successful exit or succession or transition? First, it's maximum value. You've put your whole life into this thing. You don't want to, it's like someone walks into your house, they want to pay you $100,000 less. No way. You, you want maximum value. And we talked a little bit about there is always a potential tax bill, depending on how you do it. So how do you mitigate the taxes? Too many times, again, without the planning, they're shocked. Oh, my God, I didn't recognize. I didn't get as much as I thought. When we've talked to business owners around and say, well, you know, what happened? Well, one of the major number one comment that they said, I wish I hadn't done a better job of tax planning. And the, the planning requires time. It, and, and requires the right people. So mitigate taxes. And then this is a part that really gets people to uh, stay away from this. And that's cash flow. They, they control their business. They understand the cash flow of the business. They know they can always go get another project. They can go in. But all of a sudden now they take this money and they're really, many of them are not comfortable in all the different investment options that are available out of control and how do they cash flow their life? So that's the third part. And then finally, staying in control. All of that requires some time and energy and it requires pulling together these three different areas that creates the complexity. What are those three areas? There is the family, there is the business, and there's the ownership. And each one of those are have different goals. So family's goals are generally nurturing. You want to nurture. That's what family's all about. I'm going to nurture. I'm going to protect you of it. The business goals are profitability. I got to be profitable. Ownership goals is future enterprise value. So you've got three competing goals here. So you have to know. So when this hit me, it was like a light bulb. It was like the, you know, that aha moment. I get it now. I understand why family businesses are so complicated because you're working within three systems and each system has a different set of priorities. And so which hat am I wearing? You know, is the family business, is the business here to support the family or the business? It's like an existential question, you know, that, that always needs to be addressed. So take, a, take I'll use my family as an example. All right. I've got 
three children, a wife and three children. I have one son. My oldest son is in the business with me. So we've got, so there's me and my son. And then we've got three others in the family. And then we've got spouses. We've got two spouses. We've got two grandchildren. So that's all sits on the family side. When it comes to the business, Brian and I are sitting in the business. So we have to think about the business differently than we think about the family or competing interests. Now let's talk about owner. And inside the business, we've got eight different employees that do different things. And then we have a um, uh, ownership structure. And the ownership structure has three, three players. We have me, Brian, and one other person who's a minority. And so now each one of those, every decision, you know, has to be looked at through three different lenses. So you have to know where are you. So that's what creates all the complexity. Each system has its own pieces and then working within each system to be able to do that. So you, that's, that's creates the complexity around that. If I were to ask, and you know, in the last two and a half years, I've probably interviewed 300 business owners that are looking to sell. I was involved in a pretty good size roll up. So that was 200 of them right there. Uh, but I would imagine if we had brought that question up, do you keep a business income statement? Do you keep your home in the same thing? Do you have a personal income statement? I can think of maybe three people that in that entire time that would have told me yes, because it was now if it was in the financial services industry, I bet there would be half of them at least, right? The number would go way up for financial uh, planners. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure of that. Okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, sometimes like the shoemaker, you know, doesn't have to. Uh, the fact that matters, and again, there are certain business principles. So, you, you know, yeah. and, and part of what drove me to this is I started to realize that what we were doing before I made the switch to primarily business owners, it was really taking a page from how successful business owners operated. You know, they ran things by numbers. They, they, they cash flowed everything. Yet what I found is when they moved from that business and looked to handle, they didn't do that across the board. You know, you never make a business decision or an investment unless you are convinced and know that you're going to get a return on that and you're going to be able to ca cash flow that. So the idea of that identify and quantify first phase is just that. What's the balance? What's that income statement look like? And it doesn't have to be elaborate. It's really another way of saying what's it going to cost you and your spouse and your family to live your life in the lifestyle that you've grown accustomed to. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be the kind of an income statement that you have to have if you're going to sell because the buyer is going to want audited financials and stuff like that. On the personal side, you get some latitude. But to your point, most people don't know that. Let's dive a little deeper, deeper into this. Uh, what is succession planning process? And I don't mean into the like you know, each gear you have to turn, but from a high level, what are the different things that you guys see? If somebody wanted to get started today, where would you have them start in that succession? Yeah, we, we talked about, there's three phases to it. So yeah. the first phase is identify and quantify. So you really need to understand the financials on both sides, the business, because it's ultimately about the utility of the money. The second phase is maximize and protect. And that's where you're Again, building inside the business, you're looking at the business from a buyer's standpoint. 
which is very different than you looking at it. So you've got, a, there are, you know, two big areas. There's what we call value drivers, the things that are driving your business and value detractors. One of the classic value detractor is customer concentration. You don't, you, 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 your customer base is concentrated one or two, you lose one or two of those, you're in trouble. Now, the issue is you are the main contact with those one and two. So that's a value detractor. What's a value uh, um, deliverable? You know what? That's a value driver. You got a strong management team. You've you've already started to move into that what we call the inconsequential, the ownership. So that's a value driver. So there's a whole series of that. So you want to maximize, and then you want to protect because this takes time. You know, there's a risk element to this. Again, we want to make sure that. If something happens to you during the process, that the family's okay, the business is okay, the ownership is okay. So that's the second part: maximize and protect. And that there's just there's series and series of due diligence checklists. You you know another simple one is um, employee contracts. You know you have intellectual cap intellectual property. You know, what, what happens if one of your employees takes your intellectual property and then goes competes against you or takes your customers and goes competes against you? Do you have these kinds of documents and legal protections, you know, again, to protect, you know, and when it comes to maximizing, do you have the right people on the bus? That's always that can be a value driver. Or it could be a value detractor. And that's probably the first place that you have to look is, you know, and, and I remember when I learned that question from Jim Collins, the book, Good to Great, I said, oh, my God, I don't have the right people on the bus, you know, and, and I, you know, I have to manage them. If you get the right people on the bus, you get out of the management business. Uh, with that, especially if you tie that in. So that second phase of maximize protect, there's a whole series of things depending upon where the business is. And then the last phase, which is the phase that people tend to go to all the time is the transaction or the transition, because that's where the fun is. Oh, I'm going to get my check or, and how we can do it. But if you go down those rabbit, if you go there first, which is where a lot of people, and sometimes it's not their deal, they get the proverbial knock on the door. You know, I'd like to be able to buy your business. And, and so, but in many cases, people move to that without doing phase one and phase two, they're setting themselves up for failure around that. So those are the, the three in very large areas and some of the things in terms of that maximize and protect when you get to transition and transaction, there's generally two ways that you're going with this. You're either going to sell it internally, which is what most of them go to. Okay. Most, most businesses get sold internally. Uh, either to a management company or they get sold to employ, uh, uh, I'm not either to their management or to family. That's the internal. And then there is external and the strategic, which is the one that a lot of people want because they get their cash, but they don't, in many cases, 
they don't realize what they've got, what, what happened. They got the cash, but then they got consulting agreements. They're not happy. All of a sudden, they're not doing what they love to do. So those, those are the transition and transaction. And inside that, how do you go about doing it? So those are the three phases that you want to go through. But again, go in, in order. Always identify and quantify, always maximize and protect at every stage. So when the transition and transactions there, you're ready. You know, I've, I've looked at a lot of operating agreement, a lot of due diligence stuff. And uh, one of the things I'd say consistently is missing are some of the stuff you brought up in that protects phase. Key man policies. If you've got if you're if you're not a sole entrepreneur, if you're not the CEO and own the 100 percent and you have other partners, that key man policy basically is just an insurance policy that, you know, what happens if you, something happens to you and letting the family adjust while that uh, buy out, uh, buy sell agreements inside of that key man policy. So uh, a good key man policy, insurance policy, this is an insurance policy. You can go to an insurance broker and buy a lot of good ones. If you have business partners will actually allow the, or actually facilitate your family getting paid so that, you know, the, the business takes, transaction trans I was what they're looking for transfers I guess is the word I'm looking for to the partner and the owner is bought out at a certain valuation or whatever um, I mean, the issue with that just because you bring that up yeah. I can tell you that one of the things that we uncover frequently is they're antiquated mm. the buy sell agreements were done early the, the insurances were done early. When you now take it the real value, when you start taking a look at what the, the family's income sheet needs to look like, if something happens, it's antiquated. And, and that's an area where you definitely need to be able to do that work because there are many buy cells that a, are there, but they're not funded, or if they're funded, they're funded at a very low valuation. And again, this comes back to, I guess the biggest thing is time. You know, there's only so much time. We all have 24 hours. And if you're busy with your business and you're busy with the family and you're busy with the community, where are you going to get to get the time to do this very important work? And that's where our process around helping people with the exit, but it's beyond that now. It's also helping them with execution, which is you know working through a set of uh, meeting huddles and different cadences around meetings when so that you can create time uh, by having meeting cadences, certain types of meetings and having the right people on the bus. And at the same time, and we haven't talked much about this, it's the model that you're using for advice and counsel, uh, which is in most cases, uh, very fragmented and ineffective. How often should somebody update their key man policies, their insurance policies, buy sell agreements, yeah. all that stuff? Yeah, I generally stuff like that. I generally say you, you should have a review three to five years, you know, every three to five years, just, you know, make sure you're reviewing it. Is it still appropriate? Uh, you know, it's not something. And again, this goes to, you know, the time allocation, you know, you, you do it once you put it away, you say, okay, I'll look at it again in three to five years, unless there's a significant material change. Like all of a sudden you have a banner year. Oh, you know, all you 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 have this new product, this new innovation. You're killing it, and then you know, and, and you totally forgot. Or you have a divorce, or you, or you have a death. You know, 
if there's a material change in circumstances, then it's right away. But assuming there's no material change in circumstances, every three to five years is sufficient. I would almost say, because three to five years in the startup world could be insane. Like if you're under 10 years old, five years old, and you're still in that mad growth phase, that could be an insane valuation difference. So what about looking at, and this is just an idea. I haven't even thought about this until you brought it up. What about looking at it as growth of the company? So if your company grows more than say 50%, you know, that could that's be 20%. Yeah. That, yeah that's, that, that's what I call material change. You yeah. get a 50% growth, you should be looking at all of this stuff. And, and frankly, that's where, you know, you should be looking at your players again, your internal and your external, you know, who are the people that are on your bus? You know, are they still, you know, a lot of times there's that old story, the people that got you here are not going to be able to be the ones who are going to take you to that next level and that's I'm both a, internally and externally you brought up dan sullivan i'm a huge fan of uh, some of his work too his book who not how is just incredible oh. right it's a it's it's a game changer so if you're trying to figure out if you got the right people on the bus i think that would be your first step there's an exercise inside of there i forgot what it's called now but it's a one sheet exercise so you can figure out who the you know i identify your who um right. there's a john yeah, going joke that my daughter i didn't know so my I, I'm hearing impaired, so I always wear headphones. I and I wear like uh, you know, even when I'm listening to audio books or something, I'm listening to that book on audio book on my headphones. And I didn't realize that uh, sometimes I actually use bone conduction and my headset at the same time. So I'd use two different sides of headset. Like when I'm listening to music that has like, especially like classical music where the variations, because one picks up sounds very well that I can't hear, and the other one vibrates my skull where I can hear those tones. Well, anyway. My daughter had one on and I had the other and they were in sync and I didn't know she was listening to Who Not How. And she thought I was listening to a Dr. Seuss book. She's like, well, Daddy, why are we listening to this? is three years ago or so. She's six mm -hmm. now. She was three or four. And she's like, why are we listening to the owl book? And I said, what do you mean? She's like, who, who, who? The guy keeps saying who, you know, but uh, that's yeah. a brilliant way to they have an exercise. I still use the sheet, but it's a one sheet type of thing where you identify the elements of who you're looking for. And, right. uh, I mean, you identify what what the project is. You you say, okay, this is what the this is what the project is. This is what the ideal outcome looks like. Right. Now, who's what? What are the qualities of the? Per First of all, do I have a who right. in my organization? Uh, and if not, what are the qualities that I'm looking for? And then you start to do that. I mean, the, the who, not how is also the beginning of that process of starting to be, become inconsequential owner, because you start to realize it, it really goes back to one of his other principles, you know, which is what are you passionate about? Your unique ability. If you stay in your unique ability zone, then you're going to have a wonderful life and keep building bigger, bigger futures. And you'll have to consistently find who's because our imagination, how many times as your listeners had, oh, this is, I got this phenomenal idea. It's way too big for me. I can't, I don't have the time. Well, Wait a second. If you've got this really phenomenal idea, find a who. Yeah. We all reach this ceiling of where it stops us. And the who, not how, is a way to be able to move. And that works very, very well with businesses. When you find yourself in a lot of drama in your businesses, identify the drama. What do I need to do? What's that ideal outcome look like? 
And then do I have that right person in the bus? Because if you have the right person in the bus, well, it's a little more complicated than that. There's some other pieces to it. But who not how is a great way to begin to uh, expand, build your bigger future, and at the same time, start that important delegation process. Yeah, it's brilliant that it says anytime you're thinking about how do I figure this out or how do I do this, it, 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 you're asking the wrong question. It's like, right. who's who's already awesome or who's already great at doing right. this? Right. right, which goes back to people. Yep. You know, people, who do I have the right people on the bus? Yep. So, you know, in every business, that's your first question. And and if you if your listeners who want to get to succession and transition, if they have to have you know we talked about identifying quantify that's very important. Identifying is also people. Do I have the right people? I can't tell you how many times we talk to businesses and all they're doing is complaining about this one, this one, this one, and this one. I don't, they're not doing this. They're not doing that. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. I have to do all of this. Well, you got the wrong people, folks. We brought up tax planning and, and, and tax mitigation for quite a few times. I know we don't have a whole lot of time left. Can we go over the what are the basic premises when you're looking to do succession, looking to sell, looking for ways to fund the after business life, right? What happens when I'm no longer here 40 hours a week, 60 hours a week? What are some of the tax planning things that people need to look into and research that you guys help with? Yeah, I mean, basically, you know, we're not tax advisors. So the, the, the number one is to make sure that the accounting firm that you use has that capability. Too often, what we find is we have business owners who have a, an accountant who's very good at preparing tax returns. They're not good at tax planning. And that's critical. So it goes back to what I said, making sure you got the right people. You have to also have to make sure you've got the right professionals around you. You know, a very dear friend of mine who had a accounting firm was in the process of selling the business. It was recommended at the time while I was going through that to hire another accounting. This has been a accounting firm that was with the family for decades and he turned around, he made the decision, and there was millions of dollars that was left on the table because it was inappropriate planning. The simple things uh, around that has to do with qualified plans, retirement plans, and non-qualified plans where you can, you know, dis you know uh, that aren't tied to ERISA. The other thing has to do with, are you a C-Corp or an S-Corp uh, and, and how that operates. There's a, this, there's a tremendous tax uh, planning opportunity uh, for uh, C-Corps versus S-Corps and vice versa that you, that you want to be able to look at. What you have to understand about tax planning is time. You got to be thinking about this, not a year, not three years five years, three to five years at a minimum, and even longer around the stuff so that you can build up some of these types of plans. But there are many of 
Um, you know, the, the QSBC qualified small business credit, which a lot of people don't understand, uh, is a major tool that we're using right now with the appropriate circumstances. But again, because we don't give tax advice, I'm not comfortable presenting it out to everybody. But, you know, there, it clearly is uh, a major area because it's going to take a portion, you know, uh, you know, I'll use me as an example, you know, in my previous life, my buyout of my equity in within all these Wall Street firms would have come to me as ordinary income. Ordinary income, you know, is upwards of 40%. Now that I own the business, I can now get it out as capital gains. That's huge. That's a that that's a major change, you know, in terms of going from forty percent to twenty five percent. And again, it, it's going to take time. I can't do it right away. It, there's all kinds of things. So, uh, tax mitigation is an important area. It's something that we work with, and uh, it's the way we work. The the one thing I keep hearing when when I make presentations and talk to people is this whole idea of the model that they're currently using for advice and counsel. They're siloed, separate conversations. So in other words, like you are in the middle of everything with your business, you are in the middle of all your advisors. Major mistake. And the reason why is this requires tax, legal, insurance, banking, investment. Be, be honest with yourself. All progress starts with telling the truth. What do you know? Are you strong enough in tax, legal, insurance, banking, and investment? And if you're not, that means how are you synthesizing and, uh, and evaluating and analyzing all the information that you're getting from all the advisors? And are you getting it proactively or reactively? And most people are getting reactively. I know I have a problem as a business owner. This is the, the professional that I know can solve the problem and I go to them. That's the mistake. Versus having someone like Interchange Capital who acts as the hub of the wheel, that chief of staff, where we understand everything and we know enough about all this and then we coordinate all that information and you have this board of advisors around you that are vetting all of this and you get this interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary approach, which creates much more efficient and effective outcomes. Again, the problem is time and the problem is, do they have a talent? But there's another reason that people think, oh, I don't want to do that. That's going to cost me a lot more money. It's just the opposite. It's going to cost you less because you're not going to go down rabbit holes that you shouldn't be going down or you're not gonna buy inappropriate types of products and services because you've got a vetted solution. So this idea of getting a collaborative comprehensive model with someone leading that to move you out of the middle is another critical component to a successful growth and exit strategy for a business. Having your own advisory board, taking all the because you most of these guys are using advisors of some sort. Somebody's doing their taxes. Somebody's doing their accounting. Uh, they have a, a lawyer. Um, they might have a marketing company that have a you know, at least quarterly, if not you know monthly, advisory board meeting where you put everybody on a Zoom call and say, "Here's what we're working on." 
I think that would be brilliant. You know, I, I, I think that it's worth the shot trying for any, any size business. Yeah. I would, I would say quarterly. I don't think you need, again, depending upon material changes, you might need them daily, weekly, or monthly. But in most cases, if you have a quarterly or semi-annual mm -hmm. uh, with that, certainly in the, your business, you should have daily meetings you should have weekly meetings. You should have monthly, quarterly. All of them are different agendas. The daily meeting is the one that people say, oh, well, wait, we don't have time for the daily meeting. The daily meeting is only 15 minutes. Okay, it's not where you go through. You know, there's a very clear agenda for what you want to do in your daily meeting because that keeps the, the execution going. You know, to, to grow the business, you need people. You need an appropriate strategy. You need the execution. You need the cash. And so the idea of having the data. So, but the idea of meetings is another major topic area that most people, when you say, oh, don't talk to me about meetings, don't recognize that the way they're doing their meetings are totally inappropriate. It's really just a forum for one person to just speak. And there's ways to create effective meeting and meeting cadence, which will help build growth as well. It's interesting as I used to be really against them. I was in the in the corporate world, I was really against them because we just seemed to have meeting overload, right? Especially uh, I came from the defense contracting world. I went from military, which there's lots of meetings. And then, right. you know, which was structured and, and, and they were very, very structured and, and very productive. And then I went into the corporate world, like working for defense contractors and you know, lots and lots of meetings and not so productive. A lot of times you're just having a meeting for the meeting's sake. And then when I went into the private sector, I was so fed up with it that if you asked me to come to a meeting, I would have my assistant come with me and we'd document everybody in the room. And whoever hosted the meeting, we'd send them a mock invoice of what that meeting cost because we mm -hmm. kind of had an estimate of what these engineers would make and what we made right. and everything else. And we sent them that that meeting cost. You know, some of these meetings were thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar meetings sure. as far as the salaries in the room. And and, the you know, there's there's some, you know, what you call it estimation of opportunity cost too because those engine not only are you pulling those engineers into a meeting so you pay them for their hours being there but there's the opportunity cost of what could they be working on sure you know where would their projects be if they didn't go to six hours of meetings a week so we used to send these you know mocked up invoices that would say hey, look this is what it costs it's okay it wasn't worth you should it. Know. Right. You should know that this is what this meeting cost the company. It cut them down. People would get a lot more succinct in what they wanted to meet with. A lot of times they would not invite such broad groups to the meeting right. and they would, you know, pick the right people and stuff. I get it. And, um, but I, so now I lean the opposite way. It's like I meet with individuals one-on-one -on -one to do things, but I don't, I, I, even for the businesses I own, we don't do a, a, a daily gathering. Yeah. You know? You'll find that the daily, and, and again, I, I have to credit uh, uh, my son who uh, read the book scaling up and which mm -hmm. we are uh, working on certifications, coaching around that with Vern yep. Harnish credit Vern and what his company has done around this daily huddle. When we introduced the daily huddle, to our organization three years ago, it changed everything. I was, I, it was amazing, you know, because the idea behind that daily huddle was very specific. What are you working on today? That's the first thing. And where are you stuck? So you don't, we, and, and, and it has to be very specific. And then what specific KPI or 
key performance indicator prayer. So it's it's very quick and it has to be very specific. It's done in 15 minutes, you know, and, and it's over. And then from there, if it requires more. So that daily huddle is something that I know a lot of people don't want meetings. It was a true game changer for us, and it allowed us to uncover the issues. Without it, you know, issues showed up over and over and over again. And this was a so it's a very proactive. It's not the kind of thing you know they recommend everyone stand. You're not sitting around. You're not to be comfortable. You're there. Tell us what you're working on today. Tell us where you're stuck. What's the priority that we're gonna you're gonna work on? And that's it. And you're done. I get, I was, you know, meetings have, like we said, there's pluses and minuses, but they're important because part of the key is the communication, you know, with us. So I would turn to your listeners, those that have businesses and say, well, at a minimum, get your daily huddle with your leadership team. Okay. And then move from the daily into a weekly. All right. And then, you, so you have that regularly, and then you move to a monthly. Your monthly is a little longer, and then quarterly. And it's just amazing what you can get done uh, when you have structured agenda uh, kinds of, uh, of meetings. And again, that's all part of that other, you know, we talk about exit and succession, but as my son reminds me, you know, we're in business to grow. We want to build this. And, you know, even those that want to sell and exit their businesses, they still want to grow. They want to become more efficient and effective. And, uh, you know, so there's a growth component to the kind of work that we do as well. So how do people reach out to you? How do people get a hold of you? And, I mean, the the and- best way is to send us an email at uh, team at interchange, C as in capital, P as in partner, interchangecp.com. That's the best way. You know, send us an email. It, go, it goes there. And then uh, with that, we do offer a second opinion service uh, where we're happy to take a look at, and see, you know, where you are. Uh, in terms of your readiness for exit, where are you in terms of that identify and quantify, just get some sense of, of that. So that's on our dime, you know, so we're certainly willing to sit down and, uh, you know, our commitment to you is, uh, you know, if we can add value, we'll, we'll certainly sh- tell you how we can add value. Uh, you know, we work on a project basis. You know, so you'll know very clearly what it costs and what's involved. And we'll give you three different options in terms of, you know, what you want, good, better, best, you know, whatever choice you want in terms of what you're looking for. But if there's if you're doing everything OK, well, we're going to tell you that, too. You know, we're there's a we're looking for those business owners, those family businesses or closely held businesses, not just all family businesses, closely held businesses who are saying, look, I know where I want to go. We're not getting there. We're stuck somewhere, somehow. Um, how, and, I, and I may be stuck on the family side. I might be stuck on my business side. I might be stuck on my ownership within those three systems. You know, and you know, we have that expertise to be able to help take that complexity and reduce that uh, through uh, proven um, tools and techniques that uh, have helped thousands of uh, you know businesses and entrepreneurs uh, you know through our varied backgrounds and experiences so best way team at interchange cp c is in capital p is in partners.com that's the best way to reach us 
Awesome. That's great. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show. We're going to wrap it up here and hang out for a few seconds after it's over. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions. Uh, suggest a guest or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace we have partnered with has a proprietary database of 50,000-plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, Microsoft service providers, software-as-a-service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft, Oracle, ServiceNow, and, and, and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the IT exchangenet.com slash marketplace how to exit that link will be in the show notes visit them now the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer -peer mastermind introduced first in napoleon's hill's famous book think and grow rich with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T-I-E-P-M.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.